in or out. How do you do that? How do you do it? When I married my wife, I was all in. I, I, I gave her my heart, my life, my finances. We had one checking account. We didn't have he money and she money. Come on, somebody. It was all she money. We all knew that. Again, I got married. <laughs> and um, I was all in. And, and, and I, I, was, I was fortunate. I married a beautiful wife. But you know what? I know how the devil is. See, I, but he'll work on you a little bit. I wasn't waiting for something better to come along. She is my ride or die forever and forever. That's it. My best friend forever to death do us part. If I got to kill her, praise God, I'm going to serve them. <laughs> Church, people who aren't all in are not dependable. People who are not all in are not trustworthy. People who are not all in are not responsible. I think it's time for God's people to make up their minds. Are you in or are you out? Because our Bible tells us that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let not that man think that he can receive anything from the Lord. So our receiver is broken when we're double-minded. And we become very unstable. So I'm not trustworthy. I'm not dependable. I'm not reliable. I can't be counted on. Come on, somebody. I can't have anybody put my faith in me, my trust in me, because I am not, not single-minded. I am double-minded. In other words, I have not made up my mind. Am I all the way in or am I all the way out? Even Jesus said, I would rather have you cold or hot. But this lukewarm stuff, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Now, you take that up with revelations. You take that up with the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I'll puke you out of my mouth. That's what he said. That's pretty vile. But he said, I would rather you have you one or the other. I can work with that. But if you're not all in, I can't work with you. If you're all out, I know where to send you. I know how to help you. But when you play the game, you're double-minded. You're unstable. You, nobody can trust you. Nobody can rely on you. You can't be depended upon. When you tell somebody you give them your word, you give them your word. That's it. You make it at all possible. I mean, I mean short of death, you're going to make sure that word comes to pass. Might have took you a little bit longer than you thought it was going to take, but you're going to make it come to pass. And this morning, I want to challenge you to expand your thinking, to think bigger things than you've ever thought before. I really believe that this is a moment of destiny for God's people, that we're entering the time of atonement in the next week and a half, and we're going to start seeing God do some tremendous turnarounds in our life. It's a time to get back to God, to make things right with God, to make priorities straight. And priority number one is our relationship with the Almighty our relationship back with God and making sure our time, talent, and treasure all in. It's all in with God, all in with him, all in with his destiny. My destiny is totally intertwined with God's destiny because I've, I'm all in with him. So his destiny has become my destiny. My destiny in him and me and him are enamored. We become one until you can't separate the dye from the cloth. The moment the dye goes in the cloth, they're one and the same. How big is your destiny? How big is your dream? It can only reach the capacity of your faith. In other words, your destiny can only go as far as your willingness to trust and obey God and to take him at his word. So I can have a big destiny, but if I don't believe that it's possible, that all things are possible, to him that believes that I will have trouble 
attaining my destiny. Matter of fact, the Bible actually says that, that the only thing that hindered the children of Israel from going to the promised land was their doubt because of their unbelief. And the Bible says their unbelief limited the Holy One of Israel. Can you imagine any limitations on God? Yet in the earth, because of who we are in him, he gives us opportunities to make up our mind, all in or out, all out. Do we believe him or don't we believe him? Do we believe or do we doubt? And if we doubt and have unbelief, it limits his ability to work on our behalf. Church, come on somebody. And Jesus said, be it unto you. According to your, whatever you believe is what's going to happen in your life. You believe it, you achieve it. If you can say yes to God, God says yes to you. But when you don't believe it, when you doubt what God says, doubt your destiny, doubt where he's taking you, doubt your purpose, doubt what the God's doing in this church, doubt all that, it will limit God's hand and ability in your life. And what we got to do is take and remove those limitations. Some of y'all got God handcuffed, as if you can, but in your faith, I'm talking about because you doubt him, it's like you handcuff him from his ability in your life. God is able to do everything you need him to do. And he's not relegated to time or space. God's already made up his mind. And this is the season where he says, I'll meet with you. I want you to set it on your calendar. I got a date of destiny for you. If you return back to me, I'll return to you. But I want to be believed. I want to be trusted. And this is where it gets down. I love Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. It says, now to him, God, who is able. Everybody say, God is able. Say, God is able. To do exceedingly abundantly. That means to go beyond your supposed limitations. So whatever they limited you in this world, whatever they try to label you with to put limitations on you in this world, God says, I'm exceedingly and I'm abundantly. I can knock down every barrier. He said, above all, how much? All. I'm above all that you can ask or think. How? According to the power that works where? In us, everybody say in us. This morning, I want to talk for just a few minutes. That's all we have together about the dynamics of in, the power dynamics of in. Genesis 1:11 says this. Then God said, "Let the earth bring forth grass and herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind." Watch this. Whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. God's creating creation for the first time. He begins to make the, make the trees to bear fruit, and God makes it perfectly clear. He speaks it into existence. He makes it perfectly clear that the seed will be in itself. The seed is in itself. We know the seed is always a promise of a harvest. A seed is always a promise of a future, of a destiny, of a tomorrow. You can't see it, but if you take it and plant it, it'll do the work on its own, and it'll produce for you more seeds than you've ever had before, and it will also produce fruit for you to enjoy. So the practical truth found in this scripture is that God made everything with the ability to reproduce after its kind. This way, there will never, ever be lack or shortage on the earth or lack or shortage in your life because the seed will always be found in itself. And where does God put that ability? In. He puts the ability in the tree. 
He puts the ability in the fruit. He puts that ability in the seed. He puts that ability in us. This way, it can never be lost or stolen. That way, there can never be any excuses as to why something's not working out good in your life. If it all fell tomorrow, you got seed in your life. You can, I wish I could get two people to say amen. I know that if I can just plant some seed in the ground and if I'm just patient and I wait like a farmer, the day will come, a harvest will come, and it will not lie. It will bring forth for me a harvest that I can enjoy with more seed I can plant for the next year. You're never in lack. You're never in, that's what it looks like. But you can change and turn the tide with one seed. No matter what's going on. Don't you ever believe the lie. Believe the lie. Don't you ever believe the lie that you don't have what it takes. You got the Holy Ghost in you. You got the Word of God in you. And there are things in your life, if you just see it differently, will change the tide in your world. Luke chapter 17, verse number 20. Jesus says, now when he was asked, Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will they say, see here, or hey, see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is where, church? It's within you. It's within you, church. The kingdom of God is God's system. The kingdom of God is God's method of operation. It's his M.O. The kingdom of God is God's way of doing or accomplishing things on the earth. God, think of it this way, God is king. Then if God is king, he needs a kingdom. But it's not with observation. It's not in Washington, D.C., it's not in, in, on the throne in, in England today. No, no, no. Every kingdom of God that exists is inside the believer. And where does he come on earth when you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? The Bible says God, by way of the Holy Ghost, comes in you. And the king lives in you where the kingdom of God or God's method of operation exists. So everywhere you go, you're taking the king with you. So when you speak, you are speaking on behalf of the king as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And when I say something, it's not just words. It's a decree that goes forth like the king on his throne. And it must be carried out until it comes into manifestation. But can you see it? You can't see it, but it's inside of you. And the Holy Spirit's inside of you. It's the dynamics of in. And the Bible says, greater is he that is in me, hey, than he that is in the world. There's something of greatness. And just everybody say this at me. Say, greatness is in me because the Holy Ghost is in me. Say amen to that. I'm here to tell you right now, that's the greatness of the Almighty, that he lives inside of you, and greater is he that is in me than any ruling party that's on, come on, that's on the outside of me. It may be in the world, but I'm not of the world. i got the Holy Ghost in me that rules my circumstances. Which gives me a plan B and a plan C and a plan D. i got so many plans to get out of my problems. But when I believe the lie that my circumstance is the final say, and that's the end of it. That rules the day. But when I understand that there's a whole kingdom in me, in me, there's seed inside of me that if I can get out of me, 
and I can plant and I have the faith to believe and trust God for it, it will change every aspect of my world and life. When, when did this happen? It, got, it happened at the moment of salvation. Because Jesus said, I and the Father in that moment will come and will make our abode or our home in you. When there was no greater place on earth for him to dwell in. Do you know that he does not dwell in fancy church buildings? He doesn't dwell in this building. He doesn't dwell in the steeples of the world. No, if we leave, he leaves. The place he finds holy is the place he cleaned and redeemed. And that's you and that's me. That's the person, come on, that's the, one, that's the person where he says, I can, I can have my home in them. I've cleaned it out, I've, I've, I've organized it, and now I can live in them. I love this building. We'll be here until Jesus tells us otherwise. We've got to pay it off too. Praise God, it's going to happen. And, and we, the otherwise, but, but my point is, is if we leave, it's gone. He, the Holy Ghost don't stay here and go, oh, I walked in there the other day, it was empty, but I felt him. No, you didn't. He's not in the building, I'm sorry. He don't hang out nowhere. He hangs out in you. You can feel him and have him at any Oh, I felt him right there, praise God. At any moment of any day, anywhere I'm at, I could be in the car. Woo, thank you, Jesus, he's here. Come on. Boss could just yell at me, oh, Jesus, hallelujah. Everywhere I go, he goes. He, he promised to never leave me nor forsake me. He is in me, and that's the power and dynamics of being in. Turn to your neighbor and say, get in on this. Get in on this. I want to walk you through a few things here in the short time that we have. There was a woman in the word of God, and she had had ten silver coins, and she lost one. And she was very sorrowful. It was given to her. It was special to her. And so most people just go to bed upset, you know, pull the covers over their head, and this way life treats me, and, you know, it's unfair. And here I go through loss again and all that kind of stuff. But the Bible says she didn't do that. The Bible says she got out her candle and she lit her lamp. And then she began to look under every nook and cranny. She's looking in the covers. She's looking under the bed. She's pulling out boxes. I mean, she's everywhere. And then she couldn't find, and she gets herself a broom with the light. Now the Bible says she sweeps the whole house. And the day came as she's sweeping the house, she finds the silver coin. And then she goes and tells her neighbors, and they rejoice with her. She probably took the coin, don't know for sure, and spent it on some partying and had them over and said, look, it was lost, and now it's found. And they all rejoiced with her. I want you to notice something. Where did she find the coin? Did she find it out in the gutter in the street? Did she find it in the neighbor's house? Did she find it down the street at the mall? Did she find it on the camel's back when she was riding and just left, left there in her little pouches? Where did she find it? She found it where? In her house. What's in your house? There's a woman, another woman, just the same situation. She's overwhelmed and she has, she has debt. Her husband has died and she can't pay the debt and now they're going after her sons to imprison her sons to put them in jail to pay off the debt. It's called debtor's prison. For, credit, for creditors, and so they would do that, and so, and so she's sorrowful, she lost her husband, she's about to lose her sons, she's got no money left at all to survive on, and all of a sudden, the man of God shows up, says, what's the problem? She says, the problem, what the problem is, and then she's, he says, let me tell you, he said, let me ask you something, what do you have in your house? Her first response was what? Nothing. I have Nothing. Because when we look at our situation, we don't see any way out. We just see nothing more than we're, 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 we're 
We're in the foothills and the, the trees. We can't see the forest for the trees because there's so much problems and we're overwhelmed by the situation. And he says, what do you have in the house? I have nothing, Lord. Oh, but I do have a little jar of oil. He said, bring it to me. Okay, hear the word of the Lord. Go borrow vessels and not a few from your neighbors and bring them in here. And pour the oil until there's no more to pour. She obeys the word of the Lord. She borrows the vessels. She begins to pour, and by a miraculous set of circumstances, she fills every single one of those pots up. It's a miracle. And then she said, he said Lord, here's what happened. Uh, I did it, just like you said. He said, all right, good. He said, no more vessels, no more vessels. He said, now go sell everything and pay your debt. She not only paid off her debt going into the oil business, but she was able to live and retire on the rest of the money that came in. I'm here to tell you, God's got a supernatural plan of getting you out of debt, keeping your children straight. Come on, somebody. Keeping your mind sane and retiring on the rest. Church, how did that happen? She said, I got nothing, but oh, wait, I do have a little something. What's in your house? It may seem insignificant to you, but in God's hand, it multiplies. Another man you might have heard of by the name of Moses, and he was the one that was called the deliverer to send to get God's people to come out of Egypt and into the promised land. At least get out into the wilderness and worship God as he commanded. Let my people go. And finally, the day came after ten plagues that, that Pharaoh let the people go. But not before God said, before you go out, go to every single one of your neighbors, knock on the door, and you ask for every bit of gold and silver they got. Borrow it. Borrow it. And then this don't even make good, good business sense at all, but God tells them what to do. Borrow it. He said, and get all the tapestry too. And take it out there and worship me with it. They go and knock on the doors, and my God, every single one of them, give them money. They're throwing money at them. Throwing, get out of here. Just throwing money at them. Throwing tapestry at them. Get out of here. Take it all. And they did. Took it all. Went out into the wilderness. And the next day and the next morning when Pharaoh woke up, he got word that Egypt was bankrupt because these dumb children of Israel once again bamboozled us, and they got all our money. And now they're out there in the wilderness. He said, no, no, no. They're not going to get out there with our money. And they, he chased them out into the wilderness. And now here they are. Excited about the future. But now they're up against their first obstacle. And it's the Red Sea and they can't move forward. And they're trying to figure out how we're going to do this. And now to make matters worse, here comes Pharaoh furiously riding his horse and chariots of mighty men coming to take them back or kill them and bring back the loot back into Egypt. They don't know what to do. They start complaining to Moses. Moses, you brought us out here to die like dogs. How dare you? We're just trying to listen to what you got to say. And Moses doesn't know what to do. He cries out to God and says, God, what do I do? Has anybody ever been there before? What do I do? I don't know what to do. And God said these words, what's in your hand? Stick. A stick's in my hand. How can a stick, a staff, change anything? But God's not looking for you to figure it out. He's just looking for your obedience to use what you got. He said, now take your staff and direct it toward that sea and you part the way, representing the word of God, directed over a painful situation and divided the waters and they walk across on dry ground. But here comes chariots of, of the Egyptians coming to take them back and they go into the water, into the dry waters as well, the path. And when they get inside there, God causes the water walls to crash down on them, killing them all, making them what? Debt free. 
They now owe no man nothing. So what you thought was going to be your demise, God was actually drawing it all together. Why are you complaining about what you're going through when God's got a master plan? God's got a plan of victory that calls you to be debt free out of your pain and misery and on into your promised land. Man, this is good preaching. What's in your house? What's in your hand? Moses was, said, Lord, what do we do? There's no water out here in this wilderness. It's dry. He said, you see that rock? Yes, sir. He said, speak to it, and I'll, I'll gush water out of it. He spoke to the rock, and the Bible says the rock split, and water came out of that rock, and there were all millions of them able to drink out of that water. There was water in the rock. You ever been to the rock in a hard place? I'm here to tell you there is something there to refresh you. You may not see it. You may not understand how it's going to work, but there is a sustaining sustenance. There is a provision for you even in the hard place. How about Jesus when he was ministering and he didn't want to send them away hungry. They were all there for three days. They didn't eat nothing. 5,000 men plus women and children, over 10,000 people there. And he says, we can't let them go. They'll be faint on the road. We got to do something about it. What do we have? We ain't got much. What do we have? We got a little boy over here. He's got a little lunch, two fish and five loaves. He said, bring that boy to me. Son, can I have the two fish and five loaves? Absolutely. He gives Jesus the two fish and five loaves, and Jesus takes what he has in his hand. The boy gives what he has in his hand. He takes and blesses it. It's not much, but when Jesus blesses it and breaks it and gives it to the 12 disciples, they go out and administer to the 10,000 plus people. They all were filled, the Bible says, and they took up 12 more basketfuls of bread and fish. There is, in fact, a miracle in the dilemma that you're going through. There's, in fact, uh, there's something about where you're at, but you're looking at it like, oh, i got to have this big thing to fix it. No, what do you have currently? It will fix the situation. Jesus, there's no more wine at the wedding. That's what his mother said. And Jesus said, I don't know what you want me to do, but he decided to do something anyways. He said, go ahead and get six pots and fill them with water. And he turns the water into wine. In other words... The water, or the wine rather, was always in the water. But it took a miracle to extract it. I don't know about your situation. You'll be looking at your finances. It's impossible. But what do you have in your hand? Well, I don't have much. I can't fix my problem. Yeah, but what do you have? God's always looking for you to be obedient with what you got.